Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hi there, I'm Sam Loy, and this is Human Ordinary. Welcome to season four of the show. For the first episode, we've got a story, and then after that, there will be something extra special for you that we will definitely never do again. For this first story, I sat down with my partner, we've got two kids together, and we chatted about bears. See, this is thing, and anyone out there who has kids may be able to attest to this, but ever since we became parents, our house has been filled with bears. And there's one bear in particular I have a bit of a connection to. So anyway, here's the story. Um, not really sure how to start. I don't know either. Do you have any stories about bears? I've never come into contact with bears, but I've thought about bears quite a bit. Oh, yeah? Well, I study predators, so I think about predators. You know, one bear that sort of comes to mind when I think about bears is that bear from The Revenant. Yeah. That's pretty full on. It is full on. Have you read the book? Yeah, the book's pretty crap. Yeah, but it's very descriptive. Mm. The attack from the bear is incredible. It has such power and ferocity. The damage that it does to the main character is terrifying. Do you reckon that's like realistic? I imagine a bear could do a lot of damage really quickly. I mean, They've got really impressive teeth, really impressive claws, and they've just got this amazing strength to them. They're a really big, powerful animal. Do you think it's funny, like, that bears are such a well-loved, like, kids thing? Our house is full of bears. It's full of bears? Yeah. There's the Wiggles. Oh, Rockabye a bear. Paddington. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh. Then there's Red the teddy. Red the pink teddy. <laughs> right, yeah. Who do you think's in there? A bear, but I don't want to see it. Why not? So I just want to see their teeth. Two tough titties. <laughs> Teddy bear's picnic. We've got the very cranky bear. As very well. cranky bear. We've had the very noisy bear. <laughs> the very brave bear. Very brave bear. It's yeah. a popular book. Yeah. I wasn't even scared, said Bear. I'm just as brave as you. The bravest thing that you could do, I can do it too. You think it's funny how our bear voices for the very brave bear are so different? Yeah, I guess we've got different characters. Because I, I see sort of mine like a wharfy, you know, guy that works at the ports or yeah. something like that. Yeah, mine's more of an indignant kid. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, of course, 
probably the bear that is the most present and maybe even like realistic and dominant in our house is the daddy bear. The daddy bear. The daddy bear chases Melinda. She's a bit of a film buff, our daughter, isn't she? Loves it. <laughs> There's times that I, I'll come in and she's like got tears streaming down her cheeks. And I think that whatever she's watching must have like tugged at her heartstrings. But it's just that she's like staring at the screen and hasn't blinked in ages. Yeah, true. Yeah, she doesn't watch too much TV. So when she does watch it, she really tries to absorb as much as she can. She leans in towards the TV and just won't even take the time to blink. And then one of her favourite ones that she'll do this, that she'll sit there like a zombie, is Brave with Merida. Yeah, the movie was also known as Big Hair. Big Hair is about a princess who doesn't really want to follow the expectations of her mother in particular, the Queen. So Merida decides to turn her mother into a bear. As you do. Yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. And she calls this bear, obviously enough, the mummy bear. So most of the movie is about Merida trying to work out how to get her mum back. But along the way, they come across another bear, but he's not quite as friendly and endearing as the mummy bear. He attacks them and he tries to chase them. The daddy bear is scary. Is it scary? Why is it scary? That's a war all the time. <gasps> Let's run away from the daddy bear. Let's do this. Come on. When she plays Daddy Bear with me, I get harassed into chasing her around the house as the Daddy Bear, or we might be running away from the Daddy Bear together and trying to hide under blankets or hide behind the couch. Dada, maybe the Daddy Bear is not angry. He even follows us into the car, so we'll be driving down the road. And I get told that the daddy bear's chasing us. Quick, go faster, mummy. You stay here and I'll fight the daddy bear. So funny how kids, they'll imagine this threat. And when she plays like daddy bear, it's like the daddy bear is coming to eat her, which must be like, that's an awful thing. But it should be quite terrifying. Right? But she gets such a thrill out of it. What does the daddy bear do when it catches us? Eat us. <laughs> Does it eat us all up? Yeah, and he likes to eat our noses. My goodness. And our mouths. And our mouths. And our ears. And our hair. Oh, my God. And our fingers and your face and your beard. <gasps> I kind of worry sometimes that She's created this, like, angry daddy bear because she's seen me be angry. And then she sees this bear all angry and scary and, you know, like, breaking trees or whatever, and she thinks, oh, that's just like daddy. How do you think it's going to influence her idea of normal male behaviour? What, my anger? Yeah. Well, she'll probably think that, yeah, men are, are angry. Like, that's like a default. 
it's totally normal. Well, I mean, I thought it was normal. Like, I thought my own behaviour was completely normal. Like, friends at school started calling me Hurricane at one stage, and you know, on account of my supposed sort of explosive behaviour. But even then, it, it didn't really click that I was reacting any differently to frustrations than anyone else. Yeah. I just thought that I was angry in the right place at the right time to get a nickname. And I'd be naughty sometimes. And also when I write something, I'll be naughty. And that's all. And what does Daddy do when you get naughty? You, you get your angry face. Your angry face. Do I roar like a daddy bear? Yeah. <laughs> but then later an old girlfriend told me, you know, after we had broken up, that I was a really angry person, like one of the angriest people that she knew. Mm. And then I started to look around and notice other men's behaviour and I was like, shit, they're not getting angry. But I still feel like it's normal. It's not a conscious decision. Something doesn't happen and I go, I'm going to get angry at this. It just something happens and I'm just angry. When daddy gets angry, do you get scared? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you wish that daddy didn't get angry? Yeah. I'm sorry that I get angry. Yeah. <laughs> You know, one thing that I really don't like about all this daddy bear stuff is how in the movie, you know, the mummy bear gets changed back into the mummy, you know, because she hasn't been the mummy bear for very long. So Merida was able to reverse the spell. But with the daddy bear, who was also once a person, just like the mummy bear, he had been the bear for too long and it was too much a part of him. And so he couldn't change back. I love you, Daddy. I love you too, sweetie. Bye. Okay, that's all. That's all about the Daddy Bear. The Daddy Bear featured Layla Brooke, our awesome daughter, and a little bit of crying from our awesome son. All of the music was by Kent Sutherland. Thank yous to Eleanor McDowell, Kate Montague, Declan Fay, Renee Embezi, and the Human Ordinary production team. In the story, you heard snippets from the books We're Going on a Bear Hunt by Michael Rosen and Helen Oxenbury, and The Very Brave Bear by Nick Bland. And just a little public service announcement, for any others out there who do struggle with their anger, go and talk to somebody about it. It's tough to keep going and to keep talking, but it does help. All right then. Human Ordinary will be right back after this short break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by Movement Watches. Founded on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank, Movement Watches are my new favourite underdog success story. The company was started by two college dropouts who understand a thing or two about living on a tight budget. But they had a dream to offer real quality products to everyone. Now, they've sold over 2 million watches in over 160 countries. I didn't even know there were that many countries. Movement watches are all about looking good while keeping it simple. They don't tell you how many steps you've taken or blow your wrist up with notifications and emails. They just tell the time like classic timepieces should and look stylish while doing it. In fact, all of Movement's products, watches, sunglasses and accessories, are more stylish than a pop star in a fedora. Movement watches start at just 95 bucks. You're looking at around $400 for the same quality from a traditional brand. With the money you save, you and two mates could go to Disneyland, or you could throw a party for your Cocker Spaniel, or you could subscribe to Human Ordinary for the next eight years. What a deal. And for listeners of the show, you can get 15% off right now with free shipping and returns by visiting mvmt.com forward slash human. Movement's launching new styles on their site all the time. So go to mvmt.com forward slash human and join the movement. This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by ShipStation. Down at Human Ordinary HQ, we've decided to start offering subscriber-only rewards for listeners. Some of those rewards include merchandise, and any time we get an order, we need help shipping all the stuff out. Fortunately for us, there's ShipStation, the number one e-commerce solution for online sellers. What ShipStation is all about is finding the best shipping carrier based on your needs, so you always get the best deal. ShipStation work with all the major shipping carriers like FedEx, UPS, Australia Post, USPS, and heaps more. They even offer discounts on shipping costs, letting a one-person shop access the same postage that is usually reserved for the massive retailers. Whether you are selling on eBay, Amazon, Shopify, or over 100 popular selling channels, ShipStation lets you access all your orders from one simple dashboard. And right now, Human Ordinary listeners get to try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the promo code HUMAN. You can start your free trial without even entering a credit card number. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the little microphone at the top, and type in HUMAN. That's ShipStation.com and promo code HUMAN. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Hello again, it's Sam Loy here. This is Human Ordinary. So I had planned for this little special segment in the show, but like many things, uh, things didn't work out to the plan. So up until now on Human Ordinary, it's just been me making stories. And I've spoken before how much of an isolating experience it can be. You just make something, release it, and then that seems to be it sometimes. So what I went and did is basically I found some friends. And I invited them to be producers on the show. So what's happening, hopefully, into the future is that there'll be four of us. And we're each going to make four stories this year. And they're going to be released every couple of weeks. So Human Ordinary will be releasing more episodes more often, which is pretty cool. And for this little segment, what I wanted to do is to have us all in a big conversation. And they would get a chance to introduce themselves to you. But we all live in different places and we've never actually been in the same room together. 
which I guess is very much a sign of the times that people could be making a podcast and they don't even live anywhere near each other. So we all hooked up over Skype and the connection was bad and the technology sort of faltered as technology is wont to do. And it didn't turn out the way that I would have liked. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that I just didn't have the time to really put into that segment that I would have liked. And that's certainly something that happens to a lot of us. I think we bite off more than we can chew, or we commit to things and then we don't really think them through, or we get really blasé about it. And we just think, oh, we've done something like that a hundred times before. Like who hasn't talked to people before? Like, of course, it's going to be easy. But like a lot of things in life, it didn't really work out the way that I would have wanted. Fortunately enough, it wasn't my other producers that were the weak link, but it was me. So what I thought I'd do is I'd record this, cut out all of me from the chat, and use some of the tape of my new friends so that you can meet them. So up first, we have May Jasper. Now, I first met May because she used to do a podcast which she unfortunately, and I think criminally, doesn't do anymore. The podcast is called Random Article. There's still episodes out there for you to check out. I think they're really fantastic. I think that May and I share the same fascination and inquisitiveness about you know ordinary and everyday things. And I asked May, well, actually, I asked all of the producers to think of something that they thought was a really human experience, a really good example of what it means to be a human and to tell us a story about that. So here's May. You asked us to think about human emotions and I think one of the most basic is uh, sort of stress and anxiousness. I know it's not a positive human emotion, but, you know, I, uh, I'm a bit stressed out at the moment. I'm not living in my house. I'm house-sitting, and I find it a bit stressful to be constantly looking around for things that I need and realising, oh, God, they're still at home. Why didn't I bring them here? And so I have a story. This is an old family story uh, from the Jasper family about my mum uh, in 1986, and she was really stressed out. She had a lot to do, not much time to do it. And we were heading off on a, on a car trip. So she said to my dad, who was not coming with us, Graham, you have one job. I want you to get the girls dressed. And she immediately ran off to do five million other things. And dad said, don't be ridiculous. Of course I can get the girls dressed. I'm not an idiot. And he leant down to our level. Uh, we were the girls, my sister and me. I was four. Lucy was two. And he said to us, okay, girls. What do you want to wear? As an adult, I can see Dad was not thinking clearly um, because Lucy and I looked at each other and looked back at Dad and said, party dresses, because we had these spectacular party dresses. My mum loves beautiful dresses, loves dressing up herself, loves, I mean, when we were in her control and she was able to dress us, we were constantly beautifully dressed. And these party dresses were just the height of 80s finery. So Lucy, as befits the, the, the younger secondary daughter, hers was blue and then there was this panel of smocking. My mum, when she tells this story, she describes it as, as wearing thousands of tiny pockets. Um, so that's Lucy's dress. Mine was pink and was much more traditional 80s finery, So by which I mean it was one big ruffle. Lace everywhere, big poofy sleeves, You could either wear it with a pink lacy headband or you could crimp your hair and then put it into a pink side pony. 
like a, with a pink scrunchie, but that's only if you wanted to win the 80s. If you weren't fussed about that, that was cool. Anyway, Dad loads us into these dresses, compete with like the patent leather shoes and the fold-down socks with the frills on them, and then gets to the back of the car, straps in the car seats. His job's done. He goes back to the house feeling satisfied. Mum, having finished her five million jobs, rushes into the front seat, looks back, sees her children wearing the most expensive clothing that they own and just cannot cope with how stupid her husband is because she's about to head off to Mount Buller. Now, for the Sydney people and, and for the people who are not from Melbourne who are listening, Mount Buller is four hours from my house <laughs> and it's, you know, it's a ski mountain. Yeah, we were just, we were wearing absolutely the wrong clothes, but there was no time to fix it because she was running very late. So she just headed out swearing under her breath at my dad. Now, my sister was not, as a child, the world's greatest car traveller. So it's to her credit that she managed to hold out for 40 minutes before vomiting all over herself. And all the pungent stomach liquids spilled down her front, getting trapped in every one of the tiny smocking pockets. This dress was instantly ruined. This very expensive, very beautiful dress, utterly munted. So mum pulls over on the side of the highway, gets the dress off Lucy, puts it in the boot. Lucy gets back into the car. She's in her underpants. You know, it's cold. It's grisly. About 20 minutes later, she throws up all over her underpants. She is royally miserable. And she lets us know, as only a two-year-old can, by screaming the entire way up the mountain. By contrast, I uh, sit quietly in my chair, still in my dress. I don't throw up because I'm a very good car traveller and I'm also a very good girl. I'm the best daughter. Shut up, everyone. So we get to the top of the mountain. Lucy gets out her side of the car. She, you know, She's standing in the snow in vomit-covered underpants, just the most miserable that she's ever been. And I get out my side of the car and my entire dress falls to the ground because it turns out the reason that I've been so quiet for the last four hours is that three and a half hours ago, I found a thread uh, high up on my dress and I just pulled at it and pulled at it and pulled at it and pulled at it and I unraveled every single one of the pink lace ruffles until my whole dress was just a pile of pink lace fluff. And my my mum looks at her two children standing in their underpants in the snow and thinks about the ruined, beautiful dresses that she spent so much money on. And she comforted herself with the understanding that she would use this story to shame her entire family at parties for the rest of our lives. May is also a storyteller. She won the Moth Melbourne Grand Story Slam, uh, which is an awesome thing to have done. And she's just recently been the host of a late night TV show called Mainland Tonight. You can check that out too. The next producer is Mick Cavazzini. Now, Mick is kind of like responsible in a way for all this actually occurring, all this kicking it into motion. I certainly had a bit of an inkling and a bit of a pipe dream that I would bring in other producers onto the show at some stage. But Mick sort of reached out and suggested that maybe one day we could make stuff together. And he sort of really kicked it into gear. I guess he sort of really put the fire under me to get this done. He's a recovering scientist. He used to be a brain scientist, so he is quite the bit smart. Uh, He is the producer of a great podcast called Pomegranate Health, which is a show about health and medicine. 
And he is a really avid outdoorsman. So he goes rock climbing all the time, even goes around the world for this stuff. Um, so he's really uh, committed, and I think it's really fantastic. So I asked Mick the same question as May. What is some experience that is really human? And this is what he had to say. Well, you gave us a week of warning, and I couldn't really think of any parables from the life of Mick um, until you suggested, well, go on, t- tell him about your climbing and your adventures and your... You said something about the fear, what we, you know, or the fear or the excitement, or I guess some of it's about getting scared, you know, climbing up cliffs or paddling down rivers or skiing, you know. And but the actual clo- the scariest thing that happened to me was probably in February last February. I was in Jordan. I was in Jordan for a climbing holiday. There is some beautiful sandstone cliffs in the middle of the desert at this place called Wadi Rum, and we were hitchhiking back to Wadi Rum from Petra, the famous place with the Indiana Jones facades carved into the rock. So just to set the scene, we've already hitched a ride from Petra, where all the ruins are, down what's called the Desert Highway. It's crazy, busy, dusty, lots of trucks and bumps, um, but it's a highway. And these two young guys in a beat-up BMW um, take us most of the way, pumping loud music, really fun, really good vibes. They love chatting to us. They drop us on the side of the highway and carry on to Aqaba on the, the Red Sea. And then we wait and wait and it starts getting dark. And then this guy pulls up in an old Toyota ute or pickup truck for those in North America. And he's a Bedouin guy, a, um, a local Jordanian guy who doesn't speak any English. He's got the big mustache. He's got the white full-length robe kind of thing and the red and white checkered scarf over his head and we kind of understand each other that we're trying to get to Wadi Ram he doesn't actually live there but he lives in another village he'll take us there for 10 dinar which is like 20 bucks uh and off we go and he starts driving starts driving quite quickly you know a little bit loose but I sort of looked at looked at him I thought oh he knows the road you know we're lucky we got a ride we don't complain until he started swerving around the corners a bit too fast and and rambling in Arabic and saying, oh, no, no, you like whiskey? Yeah, I love whiskey. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not cool. But, you know, I'm in his hands and, you know, you know, this is his, this is his hood and I'm, he's done this road a million times. And we're basically driving towards the desert. At the moment it's still kind of scrubby and there's the odd building here and there, but it's dark. You can just see twinkling lights and this narrow, rutted dirt road. And then he's like sliding around the corners and my friend and I look at each other and grab for our seatbelts, but there's no seatbelt. And he must be doing 80, 100 k's an hour on some stretches. There's barely enough time to see any obstacles or any bends. And this guy is no rally driver. Like we're on the edge of the road. But still, given the benefit of the doubt that, you know, he's done this a million times, he knows what he's doing. And then we come up behind another car, a Pajero, Mitsubishi Pajero, and he goes right up to the bumper bar. I'm talking inches away from the bumper bar. He's beeping, he's flashing his lights. Still, I think, well, maybe he's just got some beef with the other guy in the village. They're having a bit of a laugh. It's, it's, it's no big deal. Until he tries to overtake into an oncoming car, hoons straight past, hits a bump where a metre into the air. This is when I know the guy's lost his mind and we're in real danger. And I'm thinking, is this how it happens? Will I know when it's going to happen? It doesn't feel like I'm going to die, but when is the moment suddenly going to turn? 
there was a dread, but there was also time to break it down and think, oh, my mum's going to be really annoyed if she finds out this is how I went out jumping into a stranger's car with no seatbelt. And I wondered how much control I had. Was this out of my control? Could I or should I make the moment stop? And finally, I get up the courage to say, look, pull over, pull over, please stop, please stop. And finally he does. And my heart's racing and I pulled out a couple of dinner from my wallet. I said, here, take that. We're going to jump out. And he was not happy. And then he grabs me and he starts shouting into my face. He says, no, 10 dinner. You said 10 dinner. He wants all of his money. But I didn't know what to do. Like he was not going to let us go without his money. And now it's sort of ramped up again. Like it was no longer the adrenaline of running off the road, but this unpredictable guy. And is he violent? Is he got a weapon? I'm looking around. Am I allowed to hit him? I've never hit someone before. When do I have permission? And I guess maybe, I don't want to say there's a meaning, there's a moral to the story, but maybe maybe the art of controlling fear is something that I have learned from all those silly outdoor adventures, that maybe you can slow the moment down a bit just by breathing more deeply and assessing your options. So I told my friend in the back to get out and grab our bags from the tray at the back and Meanwhile, the guy was still holding me and yelling. And I said, okay, okay, just let go. Let me reach for my wallet. Okay, okay. Finally, he let go and I jumped out the front. And then he followed us out and stood there yelling and shouting at my friend. But then he realizes that my mate is like seven foot tall uh, and there's two of us. And he's still going to get his 10 dinner. So finally, he got back into his car, but we made a move. We scarped out of there just in case he was going to run us over. And then we're on the side of this dirt road in the dark, wondering what the hell happened. And hours later, even in my sleep, my heart was pounding and I was reliving these moments, thinking, how close did I come? Did I divert the course of that moment or was it just meant to be like that? Which is kind of more profound than it probably was. But that was sort of a moment when I thought, oh, that was more than a slap on the wrist. That was a sort of, that could have gone, that could have gone either way. And finally, we have Cinnamon Napard. Now, I get told that I say her name in a weird French way. Uh, I can't hear it. So, Cinnamon is probably, I would say, the, the veteran of the gang. She has been doing this for a long time and has a lot of experience in journalism and creating stories and in radio. She's worked and lived overseas and done heaps of work for radio stations all over the world. She's currently at this great radio station called Kindling, and it's all for kids. So it features kids and it's got radio shows for kids and music for kids and all that kind of stuff. So if you do have kids out there, you can access Kindling online and it's really fantastic and Cinnamon does awesome work for them. And I'm really excited that Cinnamon is a part of the team. Cinnamon has a really strong interest in social justice issues and telling the stories of people that you might not regularly sort of hear from, which I'm really excited to present to you all. And of course, I also put Cinnamon on the spot with exactly the same question as the other guys, and this is what she said. Yeah, I think something, like I, I thought about a few things when you asked us this question and something that through working as a journalist but also in everyday life, I think the desire that people have to connect with other people. So, you know, whether it's telling their story and we're listening or recording, but then also further to that, I was thinking about a couple of stories that I did in Berlin because when I went to Berlin, 
I thought at the time that there were only two music genres that I didn't like, and that was metal and techno. And after leaving Berlin, I had an appreciation for both of those genres, actually. And it came to me through connections with people. And, you know, I met someone who was a vocalist in a metal band. And I just, I guess, went in there with an open mind and listened to lots of different kinds of metal and then attended a music class where she was teaching someone how to growl and scream and all those metal vocalizations that people do. And yeah, I appreciate the genre now and all the subgenres within metal. But also the the other thing, uh, like a universal thing about music is that I think it's very cathartic, you know, and that's something like I went in there thinking, oh, metal's really aggressive. It's really antisocial. People are just horrible to each other. And yeah, I think I came out with an appreciation that there's community in lots of different spaces and some people enjoy it because they can vent emotions that they don't necessarily feel they can in daily life. And maybe that comes through screaming into a microphone or playing like, you know, double kick drums or moshing in a mosh pit. But, you know, I think this need to expel energy is something that you also see in lots of different music scenes and definitely in techno as well. Like I think there's something beautiful about this shared experience that we have when we experience music together. I think it's really beautiful. So there you have it, three new producers. You will hear four stories from each of them throughout the year. The next cab off the rank is May. So you'll be hearing her story in two weeks or it may already be up there in your podcast app, depending on when you're hearing this. And then the season will go through all the way until the end of November. So 16 stories that I'm really pumped uh, to present to you all. And I hope that you enjoy them. So that's about it. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Mick Cavazzini, May Jasper, Cinnamon Napard, and me, Sam Loy. Special thanks to Claire Tonti from Planet Broadcasting. Just another reminder that we now have a subscription scheme so that you can become a part of the Human Ordinary team and we've got a bunch of rewards on offer for like around about the cost of a coffee per month. So check that out. It's on possible.com. That's P-O-Z-I-B-L-E. And then search for Human Ordinary and it will come up. Anyway, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.